discovery is basically a very, very deep level of discovery where I ask my clients to have permission to actually interview the customers. The purpose of interviewing the customers is basically in order to come up with what are the different types of buyer segmentations. Today, I sit down with Jacob Elbaum, who is the CEO and founder of Shavuk, which is a CRO agency. And today we're going to be talking about all things conversion rate optimization, a new methodology that he's approaching with his current clients and brands that he works with, and so much more. I'm Nikita from aspectagency.com, and let's get into the podcast. Jacob, it is a pleasure to have you on again. I know last time we talked, I believe was in October or September of last year, and I think it's been a good, solid six to eight months since we last talked. And I know that from the last one, people really liked your podcast, and I wanted to have you on again. So it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah pleasure to be here. Thank you, baby. Appreciate it. Dude, I know that we keep in touch here and there on WhatsApp, and now we're on Slack. And I know on LinkedIn, you've also been a lot more active. And I've been seeing you go to all these different e-com events. I know you went to Affiliate World in Dubai, and I think you went to Shop Talk in Las Vegas a few months ago or a month ago. Tell me a little bit about that because I haven't been to Affiliate World yet, nor Shop Talk. Sure, for sure. There's definitely different types of people. That that That's for sure. I'll start with Affiliate World. First of all, I, I think that the, there's a lot of different types of Affiliate World conferences, right? There's ones that are US-based and there's ones that are international, really all over the world. And actually, about 10 years ago, I went to my first Affiliate World conference, my first and only other one other than the one I just went to in Dubai. And I would say because it's a U.S. audience, it definitely tends to be a little bit more corporate, maybe a different style of people you're talking to. It's still affiliates in the end of the day. So there's, you know, it's it's not as corporate as, as normal corporate, but it was more so that than one of the Dubai. I would say Dubai, lots of young people, very open, very, a lot of people with like this gross mindset, uh, hackers mindset, it almost felt like you walked around and each person had a little secret to what they do. And they, they were keeping that to themselves, but they still wanted to mingle and chat with people. So I thought that was kind of neat. And also just in general, people were very open and, and like looking to connect, I would say less so business and more so, you know, let's make friends and let's kind of like hang out, you know, affiliate world conferences are all about partying and that kind of stuff. And so I think that naturally yields more friend-like relationships. On the flip side, shop talk is pretty much the exact opposite to that. Again, depending on if it's US based or not. So the one I was at was in Vegas. So it was, uh, I think it was quite different than the one that's in Barcelona. Uh, there's actually a new one. They, last year, they, they did this virtually. I think the last two years, maybe virtually. If one in October, but now they're going to be doing it in Chicago. And so with ShopRock, it was very, very corporate. I mean, you have like the JP Morgans there and the Coca-Colas. And, and so the, and the people that you're speaking with, I would say, from my perspective, it gets very, very difficult to identify who do I approach. If I were to give anyone kind of some advice in order to decide, you know, let's say you had all the options of all the different conferences you can go to. Um, obviously, it's going to depend on if you are an e-commerce store owner or if you're just a business owner, entrepreneur, if you're an agency, if you're an app developer, tech partner, whatever it is. One of the things that I found particular, like if, if I were to tell you what were the two most important things, two most valuable things I got from each conference. So when it came to the Affiliate World Conference, there was a particular area on the floor which was dedicated to networking. And 
in that space, the topic of the networking changed every hour. So for me personally, as an e-commerce focused person, I just waited for e-commerce to show up in that networking floor and I went and I mingled and it was the easiest way to meet people that were interesting, whether potential clients or not, just good people to network. Right. When it came to shop talk, they didn't have that, which to me in the grander scheme of things was a big Midas. What they did have to try to replace that, which wasn't nearly as effective in my opinion as what Affiliate World had, was they, they set up one-on-one -on -one meetings ahead of time, double opt-in. So you basically said, I'm interested in meeting these 300 people. And then those people would basically get some sort of like a request, kind of like a LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, and they would either accept or reject you. And you had like 16 or 30 meeting, I don't remember, 15 or 30 different meeting slots. Each one's 15 minutes. It was like a speed networking process. Those conversations I had through the speed networking process, it was the best part of the entire thing. And yet it only was about three hours worth of like three hour or two hours worth of meetings over a two day period. I would say everything outside of that from the conference wasn't that valuable. It was very, very difficult to identify who to speak with without wasting your time. So if you were to have to make that decision of what conference do I have to go to, I would say understanding kind of like what you're trying to get out of it and then saying, you know, is there something in the way that that conference is set up which can yield that outcome? Uh, based on what I just shared with you, I, I would say it's something, it, yeah, worth worth looking into and thinking through at a deeper level. Absolutely. I think there's a lot that goes into all those conferences. I've only been to, the only big conference that I've been to is like Cardone's, you know, 10X Growth Con. And that's a complete different, that was like, you know, a, a, a different life uh, of mine. But since recently I've been to more, like a closer, more intimate rooms, like a, like a geek out of sorts, where it's like maybe like a hundred people at most where I'm not as intimidated to network with other people in the room because it's not that many. When you go to Affiliate World or when you go to Shop Talk, from what I've seen, it, it seems like there's just so much going on that you're overwhelmed and you're kind of like frozen. And trying to come up and network with people may be a difficult part. So I do like that one-on-one -on -one thing because it's a way more intimate way to meet people and it's kind of like reorganized. So you're not just like walking around the floor and then catching someone at the wrong time or whatever. Yeah. Um, and same thing with the way that Affiliate World has it on the uh, on like the dedicated networking floor, which is really, really cool. Yeah, very, very useful. What, one other thing I'll say is that side asterisk, because I didn't attend a single actual talk. Oh. Or in, so, <laughs> yeah, wasn't there for that. But I think for the for those of you out there who actually are interested in, in the talks, specifically find the content interesting, find it hard to find that type of content elsewhere. Obviously that's a major added plus for someone who's looking for that. I just, that wasn't what I was looking for, but I, yeah. I mean, another thing to pay attention to, to decide on a good conference to go to. Got it. You're mainly focused on network, networking and meeting new people or potentially like prospects basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, we're just networking in general and meeting good people, like-minded individuals. Yeah. 100%. And I know that we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast. I know that you're mainly focused on ecom CRO and you had a little bit of gold before uh, we, we, we started recording and it was about this profitability optimization program, accelerator, whatever you want to call it. Um, can you tell me and tell the audience a little bit about that? And what is that pretty much? Of course. So basically one of the things that I find is a lot of prospects that are coming to me about conversion rate optimization, they have this... Um, they have a preconceived notion of what they expect that relationship to to be. They what they expect it to be is 
this guy's going to come and make changes on my website, which is going to help us improve the conversion rate. The reality is that you can do website only changes up to a certain point. In other words, right. it could take six, seven, eight months to have, and I say this in a very transparent and honest way, to have up to as little as a 15 to 20% improvement in the conversion rate, meaning, and it could take even longer and the impact could be even lower, meaning it could take a very long time to generate an impact, which isn't that significant in my opinion. And what that does to, to me in terms of relationships with my clients is that it requires them to have patience, lots of trust. And I don't expect that from everyone. You know, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. And what it made me do is to kind of innovate on what I do and to think much deeper on what is conversion rate optimization, what is growth or more so why is, why would someone be interested in conversion rate optimization? Well, ultimately in most cases they're interested because they, they make a certain amount of money. They look at one of their metrics of conversion rate, usually on the Shopify store, they're looking at the back end, they see the conversion rate, they probably spend a certain amount of money and figure I'd be doing more if my conversion rate was higher. Right. But really all they care about is doing more. They don't really care about the conversion rate specifically. Um, in other words, if I had ways to generate more money, but it wasn't based off the conversion rate, then I'm, that would that would equally be interesting to them. So this kind of general, I want to grow my business because that's really what this is all about, made me rethink kind of the way that I do things to be much more of a partner with my clients rather than just being the conversion guy or just being the website guy. And so that's what yielded profitability optimization. And what it really means is how can I optimize my business to the fullest in a 360 degree, really holistic perspective without spending more money on advertising, which is oftentimes one of the, probably the biggest expense businesses have other than maybe, you know, there's marketing and then there's probably like salary and whatnot. Yeah. And so the idea behind this is starting off first and foremost, are there little revenue quick wins that we can have? I don't care about the conversion rate in particular, but are there ways that I can generate the extra revenue with, with almost minimal effort? Some, some of these things take 30 to 40, 50 days or so to, to implement and to really optimize and all that. But still, you know, is this possible? And what I found is that I'll give an example, post-purchase upsells. I don't think there's anyone really currently offering a service of, I'm going to come into your store and, and ups and, and generate upsells for you on most purchase so that you increase your AOV. I don't think that's a thing that that happens to randomly fall within a lot of areas of like the growth services. Yeah. What depends on the agency. Exactly. Exactly. I could tell you that as like a CRO guy, it's oftentimes like I find this thing cool and then I'm, I'm just open and willing to share it with the client. So I tell them, Hey, there's this thing and you should try it. And then I, I'm like, you know what? I want to try it. I want to test it out to see if it'd be good for other people I work with. And then I do it and then it becomes something that, you know, it's in my knowledge base and, and I understand what the impact is and, and so on and so forth. State of uh, service essentially. Yeah, exactly. But, but and then, the, but the question is, is who's in, whose responsibility does it normally fall under? And I don't think that the, I, I don't think that I, from what I've seen, I don't have an answer for that. There's no one who's really like looking for those types of opportunities. And so that's one of them. I have a few others that I'll, I'll keep to myself. Think like VIP memberships and, you know, just like shipping insurance, things that are just, you implement them and you see that the, the data will show you almost a, almost an immediate impact in your revenue. 
Uh, it sounds too good to be true, but it really is. It really is. Okay. You need to have the openness and willingness to do that. Now, the reason I implement those quick revenue wins is twofold. One is nothing better to gain trust than having a direct impact in revenue right away. That's the obvious one. The other one is because I know that in order to do the other stuff, which is a lot more impactful in my opinion, I'll explain what that is. I need to have that degree of patience and, and trust from people I work with. The second part of this is what I call discovery. Okay, discovery is basically a very, very deep level of discovery where I ask my clients to have permission to actually interview or with their with them interview the customers. And the purpose of interviewing the customers is basically in order to come up with what are the different types of buyer segmentations. Usually there's three to four, maybe five in any given business. And also what are the value propositions that exist in the business in general? Right. So what are the value propositions and what are the buyer segmentations? Now let's say there's five value props and there's say three buyer segmentations, three, we'll call it personas to make it easy. If you were to take each value prop and buyer segmentation, you were to match them into like these little subgroups, you'd come away with 15 different subgroups, right? One persona gets, you know, each five and then the second persona gets another five, and five being the value propositions. Right. The question that. I want to solve through this discovery process is, is there a particular one of those 15 subgroups, which performance wise, 10X is the current performance. You're looking at the 80, 20, basically hundred percent. Now I don't expect there to be one particular match. I expect there to come away with like three that perform better than the, than whatever we're doing currently on a broad level. My main focus here is, can we be more specific in the way we're communicating things holistically? in order to extract the maximum performance rather than trying to go after the entire market way, way, way too early, which is what most businesses tend to do. And the way that I plan on doing this is to essentially ask for by 10% of the advertising budget to run these growth experiments, which are from the ad copy creative to the website experience to even the abandoned cart emails, for example, I'm talking about everything pre or, you know, we'll say pre-conversion, first time conversion, right. Um, to basically test these different communications across that entire funnel right there to see which one of those subgroups is going to generate the, the best performance. And again, I expect there to be two, three, four of those. And then now having well, once going through that process, which could take a few months, which is why that trust is so important. Once going through that process and identifying which ones those are trying to identify, okay, now, now what are like the commonalities amongst those? So we can now take that communication. By communication, I'm talking about copy and imagery. I'm talking about the most basic yeah. sort of business, like value, like highlighting a value proposition in a very basic way. And who are we speaking with? And essentially taking the, the, the common theme amongst those few subgroups and turning it into just one message. And then making sure that one message is across everything, also post-conversion as well. So in all your email flows that you do for your clients, really all across the board. And not just in like the, the growth experiments, the five, 10% of that, the, the budget, but across all advertising as well, with the hopes of really having a, a very, very big impact on these businesses. Once finishing that process, then becomes, then it becomes about optimization. Right. Um, initially I'm thinking my plan initially, at least is to be doing price optimization. Not everyone is open to that, but for those who are to do price optimization. So basically testing three to four different variants of pricing. Think like product normal is $29.99. What happens if we make it $32.99? What happens if we make it 
about twenty nine forty seven? What about twenty four dollars, twenty four ninety nine? Changing the price to see what kind of impact in a very methodological and controlled environment. Um, see what kind of impact that has on on the final performance. Alex Hermosi talks about this. How one of the the biggest or one of like the the most easy ways, like the 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 single lever which has the most impact on your revenue in the end of the day, or I think it was actually in your profit in the end of the day, is actually just the price that you're charging. You know, you can change all these other factors. You can increase your retention, all this. But he breaks it down mathematically and how if you just go from charging $30 to $35 and it doesn't affect your conversion rates at all, then that, that extra $5 is, is extremely valuable to your bottom line. And so the purpose of these price tests are essentially to identify what is that what is that equilibrium? I'd say that that's a short period, maybe one to two months, depending on situation. And then once getting over that is to then get into why people usually come to me, which is just more basic optimizations, 10, 20, 30%, keep, keep pushing the limit. Right. But at that point, we're already almost at like, you know, 70 to 80% improvement in the business. So that extra 10 to 20%, it, it's the icing on the cake. I mean, it, it's just some extra, extra push at the end. That's the a very long-winded answer for sure. Yeah, that's the whole thing. That's the whole methodology. Well, look, man, there's a lot that goes into it. And I mean, just starting off on like what you initially mentioned of like getting those quick wins. And it's very, when people sign on with an agency like yours or mine, they're like excited. They're like, yes, we're going to get that revenue push. You know, we needed this. But as we go through the process, things get a little bit boring. Maybe not as much on my end because... You know, when we launch new campaigns, they see, they get that dopamine hit. They see those sales come through Clavio. But on your end, there's a lot of digging that you need to do in order to have a successful campaign, whether it's analyzing, you know, everything on the Google Analytics side, analyzing uh, heat maps, you know, whatever, whatever that you need to do in order to come up with conclusive evidence or coming up with future tests to see if there's a new way to push revenue through the door whether it's through pop-up optimization, whether it's through pricing optimization or pricing testing, interviewing customers, et cetera. There's a lot that goes into it. So when you say those quick wins of just doing an immediate upsell, I think that's a really good way to start off a client um, a client experience and go from there, basically. Um, a few other things that I highly recommend doing just on your end is uh, optimizing their pop-ups on their email. I don't know if you handle that specifically, but we've seen... Once you optimize the pop-up on the email side, typically we see a bigger conversion rate on like the welcome flow email. So we were able to generate like an extra 5K a month because we saw like uh, a 10X on the uh, pop-up. Like more people are opting in, meaning we can email more people, meaning more revenue down the road. Um, that's right. Ha having a pop-up versus not having a pop-up or actually just like optimizing the pop-up itself. Optimizing the pop-up itself. They, they had 1% conversion rate and then after working with us, they had like a 10% conversion rate on the pop-up. I saw. And then that brings more people through the welcome flow and more people. Exactly. Right. 100%. Yeah. So all those little tiny wins stack up. And in your experience, obviously you have this, you have this methodology. Yeah. You have this methodology that goes into what you do uh, and what you do every day of, you know, analyzation, testing, and iterating consistently. In your experience, when you're working with these brands and when you bring them on, what has had like the biggest upside just in general on the CRO side when working with a client? So I would definitely say that discovery part, without a doubt. There's brands that are doing over a million a month that really don't even know who's, who's buying. They, they're they're why it's successful. They just know that things are clicking, it's working. Uh, you know, 
I don't want to break anything. I'm happy with how it is. And I, and I understand. And, and, and I would say it requires some guts to, to basically try to actually go and, and, and figure out, try to actually take a percentage of your budget and actually try to figure out what's the 80, 20 of your business, really understanding on, on a, you know, on a customer marketing and all that level. So I would say that process is by far the, that's like 50% of the, over the total impact that I can have on a business, I would say. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like all doing all that stuff is just super boring and no one wants to do it. Like, tell me about it. Like who wants to sit yeah. on customer interviews and interview there? Like to me, that's exciting because I can see different opportunities in the business. And I like exactly. to get feedback from all the clients that we work with and all the employees that we work with. And even on these podcasts, after we're done recording, I'm going to ask you, what can I improve on? Like those sort of little conversations stack up. And it it's just you know, like, who wants to do that on a weekly, monthly basis when you could be working on more, I guess, like exciting things like TikTok creatives or, or whatever. The same thing on, on our end, on, on the agency end, like I had to deeply go over like our fulfillment process and a swimming lane format. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but just seeing how we can improve the little things. Like there's just, I think there's like two hours of waste in our fulfillment process. Every single time we bring on a client that just could be easily eliminated. If we, if someone actually took a look at it and now that I took a look at it, I'm like, okay, cool. Wow. There's you know why were we doing it this way when we should have been doing it a different way? But the boring work is where you see those upsides. I I would completely agree. And um, the way that I would say, if I'm an e-commerce owner and I'm looking at this opportunity, the way that I would put it in my head is, okay, this is this kind of experimental part of my business, which is happening. It's almost like black ops or I don't know what the proper <laughs> term. Like here's like this, you know, ops, uh, like, or we'll call them like, like, like secret ops or whatever type of operation happening on in the background, which is there in order to have like some 10 X type of impact over the course of time, they're going to be working on, on the side of this little operation while we keep doing our day-to-day stuff to just keep us alive and keep us going, you know, the, the normal stuff that we have to do. Eventually they're going to find something which is going to be very revealing of something much, much bigger, but you know, Hey, they're going to be, they're, they're focusing on that. And that, that's kind of the way I look at this. And so even if it wasn't boring, in other words, I agree with you, the diligence of it and like just it ordered step by step by step. It, it sounds boring to probably like a, a, a store owner or someone who has like a, you know, the responsibilities to do this type of stuff. But it, even beyond that, I would say the time it takes to run this type of operation off to the side of your already busy schedule, it's unrealistic. And I, and yet I still think this is an, an amazing opportunity. I still think it's a must, right. especially as you're trying to scale. So it's boring. It, it might be boring to them. And even if it's not boring to them, they probably shouldn't be focusing on it. If regardless, they should probably focus on what they have to actually be focusing on day to day. Exactly. They got to hire you to do it for them. So I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how often do you think it's necessary to conduct these kinds of like customer interviews is it like once a year, once every half a year, once a quarter, you know, cause obviously, you know, you, you do the interview, you get your data, you know, come to a conclusion, make the changes. That's already, I think at least a quarter worth of work. Um, if not, maybe a little bit more than that, especially with like a big e-commerce brand that you, that you're used to working with, you know, a lot of moving pieces. You have to get a lot of people on board, a lot of meetings, blah, 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 blah. You know, like with a, with a smaller store, I'm sure you can move faster with things, but the bigger the store, the more bureaucracy you have to go through, which, you know, it is what it is. 
But how often do you usually run these tests? The experiments themselves should be run concurrently. So if you have like these 15 subgroups, you should run group after group after group after group right. to identify at the fastest rate possible which one of those is best performing. How often should you go through a rediscovery process? I, I don't have an exact answer for that. I, I think that it should, if you do it the right way, it should just set you in, in the right place for at least a couple of years, to be totally honest with you, unless you get to a certain point where you feel like you're stuck and, and you feel like you just, you know, you just don't really know what's what's going on or kind of feel like things have changed. Um, but if things stay pretty consistent, you should be hitting that same, you know, that communication is, is really going to stay the same. If you make ma major changes on how you drive top of funnel traffic and then you stick with that, that's probably where six to seven months down the line of doing that, you'll probably want to go through this again because right. you know, you've now basically changed your entire business. I don't think many established businesses will do that type of thing. I think they, they tend to, to pretty much stick with what they know works well, but you never know. I mean, with, with how things have been going on lately, I, I do see a lot more experimentation. I'm talking about uh, top of funnel advertising experimentation happening on, on the brand side because we don't know what's going to happen with Facebook and all, and all of that. I mean, you know. yeah, the, the usual media buying, you know, fast yeah. of like Facebook's doing whatever it's doing. TikTok's a brand new thing, might get banned, might not. We'll see. Yeah. So you never know what's going to happen. And it's one of those like stressful things of doing media buying where like, oh shit, um, you know, do we continue what we're doing? I guess so. But if something happens, like, is there a contingency plan? So, yeah, 100%. I mean, I'd say almost every single one of the larger brands I've worked with relies on Facebook ads. So, yeah, there's a tweet yeah. I saw. It was like, say what you will, no matter what happens, 80% of your budget will still go to Facebook. <laughs> there you go. I don't know which direction it's going to go in. It's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a whole other topic for a different podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think that was a good uh, a good thing to close off on. Well, thank you for coming on, Jacob. Where's the best place for people to find you or at least, you know, reach out to you, maybe get an audit going, you know? How do people work with you and where can they find you? For sure. Um, the, really, the best way is either through my website, so shivok.com, S-H-I-V-O-K.com, uh, or you could feel free to also connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message if you want, if you need feedback, I don't know, questions, comments, anything. Yeah, always happy to always happy to help and brainstorm and, and network with some good people. Fantastic, man. Well, appreciate having you on and uh, I'll see you in the next one. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you too. Appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us on the Scaling E-Commerce podcast. If you enjoyed it or learned something new, remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review. It really helps out with the algorithm. If you want email marketing tips delivered straight to your inbox on a weekly basis from yours truly, then check out the link below or in the show notes to subscribe and join my newsletter. If you're a D2C brand with at least 10,000 email subscribers and interested in starting a conversation to work together, then go to aspectagency.com and we'd love to chat with you. And if you want to stay up to date with anything email and SMS, just follow me on Twitter at Nikita Vakrushev or check the show notes for the link. With that said, I'm Nikita and I'll see you in the next one.